0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Business on the beach and we have a very special guest today we 've got Mark McQuinney joining me Mark, thanks for coming on
1: hey Mike, thanks for having me
0: so Mark is the born coaches the podcast, and he helps coaches that 's his as his thing. He helps them grow their businesses and practices. So Mark shared a bit about how you got into helping coaches, because today we're going to be talking about the coach industry as a whole, aren't we? So we could get into the, the weeds a little bit, but I'm curious as to how you got started.
1: Yeah, it's a long, long and winding road, like they say. <laughs> my background's actually in real estate, and I did that for about a decade through my 20s. And, um, I was helped back from a really bad situation, business closure, uh, from the uh, help by several coaches and mentors. And that's how I found out about coaching. I didn't know anything about it before then. I had no clue really what coaches did. And, um, uh, when it was time for me to start a new business, I thought, Hmm, this is interesting. I really get what coaches do now and I, I can see the impact that they make. So that's when I started my coaching business in early 2014. And after some time from coaching, uh, as I went along, what I realized was I was working with different, I had a very broad uh, range of who I'd work with. I was a coach for entrepreneurs, (laughs) a business coach, and I realized I had to narrow that down a little bit. And of my clients, there were two that were coaches that had a lot of fun working with those clients, not to knock any other ones, but I just seemed to gel a little bit better with them instead of Joe from ABC Widgets. And I said, you know, I'm going to plant my flag in the ground and work with coaches exclusively. And even today, years later, if I get anyone comes to me that's uh, not a coach that wants to hire me, then I don't take them on as clients. I refer them off to a business Uh, coach that I know. Yeah. So that's it in a nutshell.
0: Right. So what what do you notice about the coaching industry? What do you – because you've been doing this for a while – have you noticed the industry evolve? What sort of trends have you seen? How, how do you see the coaching industry as a whole?
1: Well, it's changed quite a bit, even since 2014. Really, um, it, it, when I first started, it was busy, and I thought, "Oh boy, maybe I'm missing the boat." In 2014, now I look at it, and there's people getting started. They say, "Oh, Mark, you're you're lucky. You got started at the right time. I'm too late." <laughs> and I'm <laughs> actually, what I'm saying is that we're really at the tip of the iceberg. So Yes, coaching is booming, but there's still a lot of people out there in the quote real world who don't know about coaching yet and who could use help uh, from a coach and they they haven't experienced that yet. So I can see it being much different. Another five or 10 years is going to be completely different when we look back at this chat here now. But I mean, it's not just business owners who can benefit from coaches. You look at the uh, overweight father who has to walk his uh, daughter down the aisle at her wedding next summer, but he's a his heart's a ticking time bomb. and He doesn't know if he's going to be around next summer. Well, he could use the help of a good coach for that. You know, there's a couple that's been married for 20 years. Now they're sleeping in separate bedrooms and haven't talked to each other. They're strangers in their own house and they're waiting for that inevitable divorce well that the couple could use the help of a good coach as well so it's not just business owners although that it definitely can benefit business owners i think coaching can help pretty much anyone does
0: it differ from other services so <coughs> excuse me this sort of stems from if you're an instructor or a consultant or something along those lines how does that differ from coaching just as the service that you provide?
1: Well, coaches can sometimes get really worked up over um, the definition of coaching. And, and sometimes I think they, they um, twist themselves up in knots between defining coaching and consulting and mentoring and so on. Mm-hmm. I look at it really as simple I say coaching is getting the client from point A to point B. You know, you're helping them get results. So obviously there's differences compared to say consultants where they're handing a template or um, some sort of almost business plan to help guide them through. And it's a little different than coaching that way, but I don't get too hung up on it. I've had people say to me before, a lot of times I'm combining the two of them coaching and consulting kind of uh, coach salting, I guess you could say, (laughs) if you, if you you combine the two words, and, and I say, well, I really don't care. I'm all about just getting the person from point A to point B, however they get there. So uh, I don't get too worked up with the various definitions on it, but I think that uh, that that's how I would define coaching. Really simply, not a thousand word answer. It's getting someone from point A to point B.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's it's slowly becoming obsolete. Almost like when people say, "Oh, I'm a consultant," or <clears throat> or I'm a coach, or I do this, or I do that. I think people slowly moving away from that. Because I think you can't really tell, really, because some people say they want a coach, but they start working with the coach and they realize that actually this person needs a consultant instead. They need to be told what to do a little bit more. So the coach puts the consultant hat on and starts giving them the templates and the systems and the, you know, the sort of the ABC of doing whatever it is. And it moves away from coaching just because it's based on what the person needs.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And and the other thing with coaching, I don't mean to sound snobby with this, but you hear a lot that anyone can be a coach. And what you have to remember is it's uh, one thing for the coaching side of it, but you're also an entrepreneur. So I feel like a lot of people jump into it and they think, oh, I'll slap up a website or start a couple of social media profiles and then I'll spend the majority of my time coaching. They'll just kind of come through the virtual doors and it doesn't work that way. You know. If anything, it's the flip side of it where it's 80% of the time finding those clients and then 20% of the time actually delivering what you sold them. So it, coaching isn't, not everyone should be coach. It's not for everyone and, and that doesn't make them bad but uh, there's, you have to remember you're also an entrepreneur. So whenever I talk to a coach, I never say, how long have you been a coach? I'll say something like, how long have you had a coaching business? I'm combining those two words, coaching and business, which doesn't sound like a big distinction, but it is actually because I want them to know that hey, this is a business. It's not. Uh, it, it don't don't think that you're not in business because you are.
0: Yeah, that's that's something that um, I personally had to learn quite quickly. So going from tennis coaching to personal training to then uh, the online space as well, it was very much like you spend a lot of time actually coaching Mm. so when you're a tennis coach you deliver group lessons you deliver one-to-one lessons and the group lessons almost fed people into the one-to-one side so there was kind of this system whereby you use the group sort of work that you did to promote your one-to-one work and maybe you did a bit of prospecting kind of around the venue that you were in and you did bits and pieces, but back then it was about, you know, how good are your group lessons, because that's like a a doorway if you will, into your ability to coach on a one-to-one basis and that, that was kind of how it tended to work and personal training was a bit different because it was kind of it's hard to really get your ability as a trainer from your ability to teach group exercise, like it's a very different ball game, so <laughs> Excused the upon there. Um, <laughs> when that sort of came to light, okay, in the online world now, you spend at least 80 or 90% of your time advertising yourself, marketing, branding, putting yourself in that position that people actually want to work with you. That's most of your time. You don't spend a lot of time actually coaching, do you?
1: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned tennis because I have a book right in front of me. I've been reading the Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway. Oh yeah. And um, some people say, well, why should coaches read a a book about tennis because this, we're not dealing with tennis? But it actually ends up uh, being very. Uh, very relevant for coaches it's not just about how to hit a spin or a backhand or court position or anything like that so there's a book i'd recommend for people interested in coaching which you wouldn't think of naturally but it's the inner game of tennis timothy galloway
0: yeah that's that's why i think i because I, not only did i used to play tennis i used to coach it i used to play uh, basketball for for university as well, which would be college, I think in in, in the US. And um, like some sometimes it, the sport analogy is actually quite a good one, isn't it? When you mm. think of like what what it takes to be good in business, what it takes to be a good coach. Like when when you start competing, you're considered an athlete. You've got to treat yourself like that. So like long training sessions, look after yourself, eat well. A lot of the stuff that people do as athletes no one really sees you'd be surprised how few people see a lot of what goes on but then people only see the results so people say Hmm. oh are you chock full of coaching clients but in reality they're spending at least 90 percent of their time Hmm. doing the other stuff that no one really notices
1: oh exactly Yeah. Well, look at uh, Olympic athletes too. how much work goes into something that they're going to do just once or maybe twice every four years or eight years. (laughs) You know, it's absolutely crazy. And I've read different articles and stories about Olympic athletes actually having a tough time adjusting to the real world, uh, so to speak, after they get done, because they've had such a regimented, disciplined life since they were children. Uh, just for this one goal then they they reach the top of that mountain all of a sudden it's like well now what kind of like people coming back from war you know you've seen a lot of stuff and lived these experiences now you have to integrate back into society and it's an interesting experience
0: yeah it's crazy i mean it just from i mean I, i never got to any any high level with either sport but you know we still took the the discipline and you have to set your your own schedule you've got to do this that and the other thing and then when you know you've got to get into the real world now or the big wide world if you will and you've got to give it all to yourself like if you've got a coach nine times out of ten they they give you some instructions they tell you what to do how to do it when training sessions are when workouts are when practice sessions are and you build your life around that but when you're an entrepreneur and you're like, okay, I'm in the big wide world now, you've got to give those things to yourself, and I, I find that that's where a lot of people tend to tend to struggle sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I actually had an interview with a coach years ago on my podcast, and he works with he's worked with Olympic athletes as clients once they're done their sporting stuff, oh, yeah. and he t- he told me that those clients who are former Olympic athletes are his best clients because they get coaching they're used to working with a coach they don't question them they just get it done and he said that they're incredible clients and i heard in our interview once michael phelps was talking about uh, the, how he uh, held the record for a number of medals with olympic stuff how he got there and he credits his, his swimming coach in that case too so i see there's a lot of parallels and, and neat little synergies between sporting and coaching
0: yeah if you if you noticed is there a difference between coaches that have got a lot of experience versus <clears throat> coaches that have just started? Because people can people can learn about coaching to a certain degree. Like you've got people that like in the sporting way, sort of go there for now. You've got people that have played sport, understand because they've had a coach, then they start coaching, versus someone that has been coaching for a long time. And they've sort of grown up with it, and that and that's all they've they've sort of done, because there are people that like, sort of use experience almost as like well that what that's what makes me a good coach, and then you've got people that say oh well I've got experience doing the thing so it could be business it could be yeah. relationships it could be whatever as they say well that's what makes me a good coach so how how do you actually add weight to the value of the two and do they actually produce different coaches
1: well it's one of those big debates i've talked with people before in in my facebook group this has gone back and forth where the question has been uh, should a coach have experience in a certain field to be a coach for that person Mm. and my answer is always i don't think it's black and white Uh, i think that it helps if you have that background in whatever industry or field that it is because then you can speak the client's language and you know what's keeping people like that up at night and, and you get it however you don't need to do that to be a good coach so i mean you look at uh some of the, the best managers in major league baseball history were uh pretty crappy players to be honest <laughs> you know um <laughs> Sparky Anderson, I think Joe Torrey, there's some other ones that come to mind that weren't, I shouldn't say Joe Torrey was crappy, he did okay, but um, there are a lot of people who couldn't really play baseball that well, or Billy Bean, the uh, general manager of the Oakland Athletics. He was a bust. He was like a big high draft pick. He was supposed to be the next big thing and didn't do anything with his major league career, but he's had a second life as a major league general manager and he's done super. That's what the uh, movie Moneyball is based on with what he did with the Oakland athletics. So I don't think you need to have done that. I, I think at the end of the day, a good coach is a good coach and regardless of how good you are, if you're, discipline you can keep yourself accountable i don't care how good you are you're going to do better with the help of a good coach it helps to have a second set of eyes someone that you can uh, talk to bounce ideas off of and and work with that way as well
0: i guess that's the same as the 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 certification versus non-certification debate as well and to be fair i'm actually surprised that it's gone on for this long because i feel like over time, it's something you keep coming back to. It happens all the time. Everyone go, oh, well, experience this, experience that, and certification this, yeah. certification that. And I've got to a point where I just go, like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. No. Like, it's not, it's not important. It doesn't make any difference to your ability to coach. I mean, personally, I've got this, not, not hatred for courses but i've got i've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about qualifications because i'm someone that has sports qualifications fitness qualifications i've got a degree in coaching and it's just like look i'm not going to go on any course that tries to tell me how to do something
1: well it's tough um again not to knock certification because there's some great ones out there However, I would fall on the other side of the debate to say that no, it's not. uh, you don't have to be certified to be a good coach. Because the problem is there's good certifications, but there's a lot of bad ones too. So who's deciding what's good, what's bad? I've just helped a lot of coaches over the years who come out of a certification. And they've uh, spent thousands and thousands of dollars. They're frustrated. They've been doing buddy coaching practice sessions 200 of hours with someone and they've done so many of these free practice buddy sessions that it's, it's actually probably hurt their confidence in a lot of ways because they've never charged for it and they've spent a couple of years before they're even out of the gates while there's other people that are out there that working getting clients and building up their business and so on. So I can see some disadvantages that way as well. Um, the issue being, I think that again, that who certifies the certifiers, <laughs> I guess you could say who, who, who judges with it. So I, I don't have a certification at the time of this recording, who knows what I'm going to do down the road, but, um, I've never had a client of mine out of, uh, I've worked directly with hundreds of coaches, one-on-one I've worked with thousands. If you include digital programs and other things, I, I can't recall ever having someone say, Hey Mark, I'm ready to. To buy or to pay you but can you send over a scan of your certification before we complete the transaction (laughs) Um, that's just never happened right Uh, (laughs) mine's from the school of hard knocks
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i I think i think you you need to have something though that, that there needs to be something there that you can call upon to I guess answer the question of credibility somewhere like if if you're if you're a business coach okay you can have a certification or experience or you've helped people in the past and you've got testimonials that say that you're actually good at what you do I I think people need people need that box ticked though because there are options out there of people that have that box ticked. I think in the world where there's options, you need, I think you need to have something. doesn't matter what it is. You can have business experience. You could be a millionaire running a business all by yourself, but like, you could be a really bad coach. So it, yeah. it, I, I think we need something, I guess, that gives you some element of credibility in the industry that you're in That's yeah, well, my opinion anyway yeah
1: no i agree one thing i realized from spending a decade in real estate throughout my 20s i had uh, well build up to 100 agents on my team by the end of it and i didn't realize at the time but i was doing a lot of coaching i just didn't consider it coaching right when i was helping my my team members and my employees or so on so i could uh, rely on that uh, coming out of coach. I wasn't, when I started coaching, I wasn't 19 years old um, and with no or little life experience. You know, I was 30, Oh boy, was like 35. I think at the time uh, with it, I had, you know, it was in business right out of university through real estate. So that definitely helped where I think certifications can be beneficial. Um, I would never, tell someone not to improve their skills. All I'm saying is that be careful where you're investing your money for how you improve. So when I say don't do certifications, it doesn't mean I don't invest in my um, personal development. I mean, I'm spending many thousands of dollars every year on courses, books, um, events, seminars, you know, stuff like that. I just choose where to put, it instead of um, going with uh, certification. But where I think it could help for those is let's say you are a younger uh, coach, you're 25 years old, and you may not have the same uh, life experience. Or so on. It could help if you get a good certification because you can lean on that a bit if you get some pushback or if you're I'm seeing 21 year old coaches out there, you're 20, 21 years old, you can lean on that um, certification. But I think as time goes on, you really have to build up your own brand and your own credibility and not expect that, oh, I have a certification, so that's going to get me a bunch of business.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point, really, because you can't rely on your certification either. Like you can't really rely on on something to mean that you can actually do what it is that you say that you can do are there any are there any go to's then that mean that that sort of box can be ticked I mean like people would go through courses and go well that must be it then I don't need anything else which we, we both know isn't really true, but then there are people out there that will literally throw anything out there in terms of marketing or emailing or social media or anything to give the illusion that they're good at what they do. Get clients and they could be really, really bad. But they've mm. got clients when the person that's actually a not a bad coach is struggling. That then sort of brings up the debate of well, is it good coaches or is it good marketing? Yeah, we'd probably have that debate yeah. for a long time.
1: Well if I had to put my money on the excellent coach that's a bad marketer or the excellent marketer who's a bad coach, who's going to be more successful, I'm gonna put my money on the marketer. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. My suggestion to the excellent coach who isn't very good at marketing is, um, put as much uh, time and energy and, and focus into improving your marketing skills to get those clients in there. And since a lot of coaches wanna help people and, and uh, I would guilt them into it, I would say here, by not improving your marketing, people are hiring someone who's not as good as you are and it's costing them money. It's stressing them out and they're not getting the results that they could be getting if they were working with you. So you're being selfish by not (laughs) improving your marketing and getting more clients. I would guilt them into it. Yeah, that's a
0: that's a good point. To be fair, because it was the same back in the day when when I first started. You know, you mentioned ages and things. I'm I'm 28 of this recording, um, but I started tennis coaching when I was 16, and I had this conversation when I because I used to work at a a David Lord Club in 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 the UK tennis coaching, which mm-hmm. for some people is the I don't know more of a premium club, kind of like a high end sort of facility. So. I was, when I moved, I was about ooh, probably 19 years old when I sort of started it at that club. And yes, there were people of a certain age that wouldn't listen to a teenager taking advice on how to hit tennis balls oh I'm 35 I know how to do this so you've got this all Because of age can't actually prove competency either to a certain extent you could be doing nothing for 40 years and someone that's been working their backside off for four to five years yeah they started off young but they probably got a lot more experience of doing the thing that the older person
1: would have, I guess. So yeah. Well, it's an interesting uh, point that you make because when I started in real estate, my past life, I was 21, but I looked about 16 years old. I looked really, really young. <laughs> yeah. I, I came across an old business card and I was like, holy geez, get this kid a sandwich. Because, uh, Yeah, I, I, I look like the paper boy, not, not a real estate agent. And, um, so I had that, um, I thought I could have that issue when I started in real estate and the way that I combated it was if anyone ever commented, oh boy, you're young or something like that, here you are asking to work with them on the most important investment of their life, which is their house yeah. for yeah. most people. Uh, I flipped it around for a couple things and this goes back to certification. I leaned on my, uh, real estate company at the time because we had, 50% market share in the business, the company that I started with, Roy LePage, oh, okay. it's a big Canadian company. And I would have uh, market stats, I would have pie charts and things, I would talk a little bit about Royal LePage's Canadian history, how many offices in Canada, rich history, and I would show the local market stats showing that we had really good market share. So I would lean a little bit more on my company. And as I built my business, it became more about Mark than Royal LePage at that time. Uh, The other thing I did is I flipped it around because I said, hey, look, I know I'm young. I'm I'm not going to hide that, right? I know I'm young, but I've got a lot of energy. I've got fire in my belly while all these other agents are off taking a couple months to go down to Florida in the winters or they're out at their cottages or they're, they're taking time off to enjoy the, you know, their family and stuff like that. um, I am going to be working my butt off. You know, for me, I've got student loans. I have to pay off and I really (laughs) want to do well. And you're not going to meet someone who's going to work harder for you. And that ended up getting me more business. I turned it into a positive and it's like an old sales trainer said, you make your skeletons dance so this goes to whatever you're selling you take the objections that you know you're going to be getting you pull them out into the sunlight and you just um yeah. hammer them head on you tackle them so if you're the highest price in the marketplace you can mention that, hey, look, I know this is expensive. I'm not kidding, this, this is a lot of money. But then you go into turning it to, you uh, get rid of that objection or you tackle it head on. Or kind of like with Hertz and Avis, right? Where um, which of the companies was uh, number two? We try harder, was it Avis, we try harder? Whichever one was number two, basically didn't try to hide that and, and, and sweep it under the rug. They basically said, we know that we're number two, but that's why we're trying harder. We want to be number one. And I thought that was brilliant
0: yeah yeah it makes it makes perfect sense um, one of the things that you you mentioned before when we were talking about starting out around you know some people can spend years doing free sessions as part of their their courses or their certification or their i guess earning their stripes so to speak before they then start to to charge for their coaching and you said that people can burn out doing that people can never really get to a point where they start charging for whatever it is that they're doing, mm. it then causes the whole sort of, you get to a point where it's like, well, is coaching worth it? Because I've been doing so much for free. Does that mean I'm not actually worth charging for it? But then yeah. you've got so many hours under your plate, or, or under your belt, sorry, that, well, that, of course, you're worth it. You've got the hours in. You know, you must be pretty good at that point if you know what you're doing to begin with. Yeah. So how what how, how do you see free sessions how do you see the discovery calls you you see a lot of that now how do you see the exploration sessions and just getting people on calls for free Mm.
1: well i'm not a fan of free sessions Uh, not the free marathon type two or three hour type coaching sessions that some people are advocates of i always say whenever coach uh, coaches for free baby kitten dies there's another uh, way to guilt (laughs) coaches into charging But I think the issue, there's a few issues, but every time that you coach for free and you give what you should be charging for, you give it away for free. Subconsciously, I think you're you're scratching at your self-confidence. You may not even realize it, but that little voice in your head is thinking, okay, well, I'm doing this for free. It's not worth anything. And I think that does sink in after some time with it. So the way that I prefer to do it, even on my calls, they're under 30 minutes. You know, I first call with someone's really quick 15 to 20 minute type call to see if we're a fit to work together. And yeah. I don't do free coaching. Now, when I say I don't do free coaching, it doesn't mean that they don't find that call helpful and I don't give any value. If if I didn't know you, Mike, and you reached out to me, I, my, our first call, I'd be wanting to obviously learn more about who you are, uh, what you're trying to do with your business, what your goals are, what what are your challenges? Why are you on this call with me? Because you didn't roll out of bed today and say, oh, I'm going to book a call with Mark for you know shits and giggles or whatever. You, there's a reason why you booked a call with me and I want to figure out what that is. I might tell you some things in there like suggest a book that I really think you should read or, or something might uh, trigger in my mind that I should mention to you. But the purpose of that uh, conversation is to see if we're a good fit to work together going forward. It's not to say, okay, okay I'm going to do a two hour call with you. And just knock your socks off, and then you're gonna love my what I do, and you're gonna refer all your friends and family, and everyone will live happily ever after. And unfortunately, <laughs> that that's what the marathon free session advocates say is, yeah. oh, you gotta show you know show your magic, and they're gonna love you so much that they're gonna send you all this business. And that's usually not what happens. What usually happens is the person thinks, okay, well that was good. I got what I needed from that. Now I can handle it going forward. Um, I just got free coaching for two hours why am i going to pay five thousand dollars to for coaching package with you because you just gave me two hours for free so that that's my two cents on it. i know some people are the exact opposite and they would disagree with me on it but no i'm not a fan of free coaching
0: what about if if they've got no idea what coaching is so does that change does that alter the so is, is there a certain point where you think maybe they need to know what coaching with you looks like before they then carry on or do you, do you take the same approach? No,
1: I mean the way that I do it personally is I, I say, Hey, look, I've been doing this since 2014. I've got tons of testimonials that you can see online. I've got um, a track record. I've got, you know, if you want to see what uh, coaching's all about. I've got as, as of recording now, 620 episodes on my podcast Um, I've got a free Facebook group with tons of stuff in there, almost 20,000 members in that Facebook group. I've got all these free resources. Um, So for me personally, I'm not going to go into uh, providing a free session. It's kind of like if you're a lawyer, someone comes in and uh, needs to hire a lawyer for whatever legal issue. If I were the lawyer, I wouldn't say, well, I'm going to handle this uh, case for you for free just to show you how good I am. And then down the road, you'll hire me if you, you know, you kill someone or run someone over down the road, you'll hire me to defend you. It just doesn't work that way. There has to be an exchange of money with it. And I, unfortunately in the coaching world, I see there are a lot of mother Teresa coaches and I have mother Teresa coaches are ones who think that you should be going coaching in a village somewhere far away, barefoot, and don't dare mention money or charge much of anything. And if you do charge a lot, then suddenly you're greedy, you're in it for the wrong reasons, and you're mm. Gordon Gecko or JRU, and you're a horrible person. And <laughs> I don't agree with that approach. Most of them are struggling and having difficulty paying the bills, and it's because they have a backwards view about money.
0: Do you find that that, that actually impacts the industry as well? Like when you see people doing things like that, does that impact people's perception? And I say that off the back of, like, you've got a Facebook group and podcast and things. It's a sort of route that that I take as well, personally. So, what I've also noticed as well is one of my friends is over in Florida and she says that coaches have advertisements on the radio over here. It's amazing. We have mm. none of that over in the UK. Like what, what's going on? You've got coaches all over the place in, in America or at least where she was. And it was just like, where, where does it all come from? How, how did he get this sort of, I guess, familiarity around coaching? Like it's just expected that it, it is around, it is there there is a coaching industry where it, like some countries and some places, like for instance, where, where we're from over in, in, in the UK, like we don't get that, that that doesn't mm. People have a very sort of, oh, well, you're just helping people because you don't know how to do it yourself. Or like, we don't really believe that coaching works or you seem to have this very negative view of coaching in the UK versus in, in the US. And I think, yeah, I think that's, that's something worth speaking to, I think. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned Florida. I had a call with someone yesterday who's a coach in Florida, and she was in the real estate industry. And then, of course, everything happened in 2008 with their market where it collapsed, and that's how she got into coaching. Yeah. Uh, part of the reason it's probably well-known in areas uh, like uh, Florida, part of, uh, lots of places in the United States, is uh, a lot of people who got hurt with the Great Recession Got into coaching, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think that they were, um, you know, laid off from corporate gigs, or or re- they're getting out of real estate, or whatever happened. And you had this influx of. Motivated people who um, are willing to get out there. Now, the other thing of it, I'm speaking as a Canadian, you're a Brit, so our cultures tend to be a little, I'm, I think I was born in the wrong country. I tend to be more American than Canadian in a lot of ways, but uh, Americans, one of the things I like about them, they're not afraid to get out there and, and say what they do and, and blow their own horn, so to speak, which, which I actually view as a, a good thing. Um, you Brits are often too polite and um, you don't want to come across like you think you'll look like Donald Trump if you promote. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) that that you're a coach right and i think canadians are like that that as well in a lot of ways uh, with it but i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think you have to do that so kudos to the americans for getting it
0: yeah i I feel like i think that that's again there's an element of we could be contributing to the problem to a certain extent but i also think Mm -hmm. that we're contributing to the solution as well but you've got to take with the, the bad with the good sometimes you know
1: yeah, exactly. I think you will see more of it right now. In my neck of the woods, you don't hear as much about local coaches. I work with um, coaches all over. You, you know, I don't work with a lot of local people. I don't even target my local market. Uh, a few of them stumble onto my podcast and I've had some clients from around here, but it's not, I don't target local. But I think as time goes on, you'll see more of it. So you will see more like you're seeing in Florida that you mentioned uh, with more um traditional methods like radio and things like that. People coming out of the woodwork for coaches where people understand what coaching is. When I told family members back in 2014 that I was becoming a coach, they were thinking, okay, or what sport, you know, are you going to try to make, make it to the NBA? Are you going to try to get to the NFL? Why? And Yeah, they didn't get it. I I thought I had to carry a whiteboard around to try to draw out what exactly a coach is and stuff like that. And good luck with podcasts. Nobody knew what the heck a podcast was. Here when I launched in 2014, like what the heck's a podcast? Now things have changed. 2019 heading into 2020, a lot more people know what coaching is and podcasting as well. And I think that that's a good sign. I think it's going to continue going up and and there's going to be more saturation going forward.
0: Yeah, definitely. It seems like it's more more and more popular, I suppose. What What are your thoughts on the future of coaching? So this is a very broad question on purpose. Uh, so is it, is it going to be one-to-one? Is it going to be events, online, offline? Are we going to see everyone wanting to become a coach because the barrier of entry is so low? Are we going to see the barrier of entry increase, maybe? I know a lot of people are trying to do that, but not really succeeding mm. all that well um what what are your thoughts on the industry as a whole because you're someone that's been in the game for a while you work with coaches you interview coaches you're very immersed in the industry how do you see things panning out
1: well I don't think it's ever going to be a point where two out of every three houses on a street uh, are owned by a coach you know something like that (laughs) Uh, so (laughs) I don't think we're it's going to be quite like that Uh, but I do think uh, that right now there's a a trend towards that kind of four hour work week type thing. And you see a lot of people saying, Oh, you shouldn't be doing one-on-one coaching. You're trading time for dollars. That's a bad way to do it. Because if you're doing one-on-one, you can't be laying on the beach and refreshing your bank account and watching the money roll in. And so they're pushing <laughs> the other side of it, right? The hands off stuff. And yeah. I don't think that there's ever going to be uh, no one-to-one type coach. It needs to be that, that personal connection. So good examples with my business, as time goes on, I continue to do things to scale it and to make sure that I can keep some time free, but I never want to, completely be away from actually working with clients. I'll always have some sort of touch point. Maybe it'll be just one or two really high end clients for one-on-one coaching. I don't know, but I'll always have a little bit of that because that gives me energy with it. I would never want to be just separated by computer screen and never talking to anybody. I find a lot of coaches nowadays, they don't want to (laughs) coach they get started and they want to just sell the online programs and never have to actually talk to someone. And that's uh, that's a tough approach.
0: It is. Yeah. I mean, if, if you don't want to talk to people, you just want to sit on a beach and watch the money rolling in, then that's not, in my mind, that's not really being a coach, is it? If you understand where I'm coming from, like if, I mean, like if you have one or two conversations a day with clients, that can be enough to cover more than your bills. So if if you're not prepared to do that, then there could be an issue there with the industry in general, I suppose,
1: right? Well, it makes your coaching better. So a lot of times I'll be working with one of my one-on-one clients and they'll give me an idea for a program or or if enough of them need help with a certain something, I think, well, I should be creating something around this. If I wasn't working with them directly, I may have missed those opportunities. So it'll make everything better. I'm working on a book at the moment. That book would not have been as good back when I first started because I didn't have the same experiences. I didn't have the same amount of time working directly with clients that I have now. So that book's going to be much better than it would have been four or five years ago.
0: Yeah, of course. I I think we need to value that I guess. Like I think personally, just my own sort of opinion on this, is I think in the world of technology, coaches are gonna value their time more, but I don't personally want to see coaching die out ever. I, I want to see coaching still have the impact that it's making and i think that it's about serving the person isn't it like some people respond better from the one-to-one attention and some people would much rather be told what to do told how to do it and they can go away and do it so you, you have to help those different people i imagine
1: Yeah, there's room for whatever works for you. So it's all about building a business that you're happy with and not trying to fit into someone else's mold. Because when you try to do that, you're not going to have fun doing your business and you're not going to be really feeling motivated every day to work on it uh, with it. So maybe yours is one on one. Maybe it's more of a hands off or a hybrid model. Uh, with it. I mean, I I don't recommend working 110 hours a week of coaching sessions because you're going to burn out, you know, if you do it that way, maybe you introduce some things. So for example, a few months back, I introduced a laser coaching program. And with the laser coaching program, those clients of mine, we have uh, 15 minute sessions, not one hour or two hours. right? And uh, they're really quick sessions. We get down to business quickly. They have access to me between the calls. Uh, by email, they can pick my brain and they get homework every time. Then we book our next call. They're, they've been working really well. So that's a model that not a lot of people have heard about. I, I find now, since I've been talking about it so much, more coaches are starting to dip their toe in the water, but it's not something that's really well known. But there's an example of, okay, well, maybe I'll do something that, that works a little bit better for me and works for the client too. You know, And uh, it all comes down to building the business that you want to build.
0: Yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense, really, because it's also like you've got to go both ways, haven't you? You've got to factor in, you know, how do your clients want things, but you also got to figure out, okay, well, what what do I enjoy doing, what what suits me, what suits the lifestyle that I want. I think you'd be surprised at how many people, if they put the, the lifestyle that they want first, that tends to cross off a lot of the the options that are out there.
1: Yeah, so I'd recommend sitting down and taking a pen and paper and really. Just thinking, you know, turn your smartphone off. Don't look at Twitter, Facebook, email, anything like that. And just think, okay, in a perfect world, what would my business and my life look like? And then build it around that. So don't look at what people are saying. You have to do it this way. There's a thousand ways you can build a successful coaching business. There's not just one answer to that, but I, that, that, I think a lot of coaches would be served well by taking a few hours to do that and to give it some thought, but I don't think a lot of them tend to do it. They're right away thinking about, okay, what um, lead magnet do I need? And uh, what should my website look like? And, you know, what's my niche and everything right away when if they did some of that earlier work, it would have made the stuff that comes afterwards easier.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely second that. I, I completely echo the idea of you do a lot of work beforehand to try and make everything else a little bit easier. I think that's that's definitely advice worth heeding. that's for sure. What about the coach then that's established? So we've gone through sort of, right, this is how the industry is. This is where we see it going. What about the established coach? What if there's someone that wants to change things? What if there's someone that's... You know, looking to not, I wouldn't say move on from coaching, but they're trying to get to a level, let's say they're on the cusp of exactly where they want to be. They're kind of fighting this whole time for money thing. They're trying to figure out what's best to do because you don't want to do something that also doesn't work. Mm. I've got my own own thoughts on this, but I would uh, be open to hearing your thoughts on it as well.
1: Well, there's nothing wrong with changing your approach. You know, if you had the same business today as you had 10 years ago, there's probably something going wrong or something's up because <laughs> it's almost impossible to keep your business the same. It's going to get stale. You're going to get bored and tired of it. Uh, so a good example of this, I'm reading a book at the moment, Denise Staffield Thomas wrote, uh, chillpreneur and she was talking about in that book, how as her business grew, she has a seven figure business she felt like she had to do everything. So with her brand, she started uh, creating merch, you know, merchandise. So she was creating beach towels, uh, ah. bikini- bikinis around her, because she works with women on money blocks basically. And she was creating just everything and uh, put an app out that, and she wasn't, she realized that those things weren't what she should have been doing because she's really big on with her offerings. They should be either free or expensive. So free, you'll get people in the door, get them to know, like, and trust her. But then once they consume free resources, they'll hire her for the expensive stuff. The mistake that she made and she admitted it in the book is she started getting into the $20 items and the $50 and the $14, all the things that didn't match her brand with it. So I say there's nothing wrong with mixing up your business model. As time goes on, you should be always improving it and evolving, but don't throw stuff on there just for the sake of having more stuff, which she was doing and she admits that she shouldn't have been doing.
0: Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. What sort of filter would you invite people to use then when they're making the decisions around growing things when they're making decisions around changing things? Have you got any questions or filters around making their decisions easier?
1: Well, Anything that you're adding on to your business, be very careful because every single thing is going to tax you mentally. It's going to take up energy. There's a cost. So if the example I just gave, you might think, oh, well, there's not a much cost to add some of this merchandise in here because it's being done by another party. They're doing that, but there is. And, and she talks about it in the book too, where every time somebody gives you even a dollar, there's that expectation that Uh, They have uh, somewhat have a bit of control over you or there's at least a, there's something there where it taxes you mentally. If somebody pays and something goes wrong and they need help with something, it's you or your team who are going to be helping them with that. So be very careful whenever you add something onto your business. I would ask myself, do I actually really enjoy doing this? Does this make me happy or does it make me want to throw up? I just hate it. I don't enjoy it. And if it's the latter, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> if it makes you want to vomit, don't do it. That's probably a bad sign.
0: Yeah, it's probably a dangerous sign. If you look at stuff and go, I'm going to be sick. It's probably <laughs> that. Um, do you have any parting thoughts for us, Mark, about the coaching industry as a whole? Maybe your your message from Mark, if you will, for coaches. And then we'll we'll finish.
1: Well, I mean, one thing I'm seeing from a lot of coaches is that they're spending too much time on stuff that isn't really important. So they're dithering or they're procrastinating. They're taking time to work on uh, their logo, their banner on their website, uh, uh, that PDF or whatever, instead of actually getting out there in front of people who could hire them. And I think it's a way to avoid rejection, obviously, but it's kind of like a war. I always say that the, uh, victories and the results come out in the battlefield, not in the trenches. So if you're hiding in the trenches, you know, you'll get safe. You're not going to take any hits, but you're not going to have any victories either. You got to get up out of the foxhole and get out onto the battlefield and you're going to take a few bullets. (laughs) But uh, if you want to be successful, it's unavoidable. You have to get out there. and, And that's what I would say. Don't dither. Don't be a perfectionist. Don't be stuck in this constant research loop. Just get out there and do it.
0: Well said, Mark. Uh, where can people find out about you? Where can people go to, to learn more?
1: Uh, naturalborncoaches.com. And the other link is my website, uh, sorry, Facebook group, The Coaching Jungle. So that's at dot thecoachingjungle.com, thecoachingjungle.com.
0: All right, Mark. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. As always, it's nice to, to chat to a fellow coach about coaching. It was interesting. Um, obviously, it's gave me a lot to ponder. Hopefully, fellow coaches out there, a lot to think about as well. And I look, I look forward to keeping in touch.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike.